Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. I know Megan's got a lot of work to do, but uh, a quick question. Was it foggy up where you live? It was, yeah. Really? It was hugging the ground. Wow. Yeah, and then the river was pretty bad crossing the river. Oh, you're kidding. So, I mean— you know, I live in South City. It didn't start getting foggy until like uh, Jefferson, you know, um, basically at 44. And then all of a sudden, whoom, it's just like one big cloud. So I just wondered which direction the fog was heading. Yeah. And they were reporting earlier this morning. I don't I'm I'm assuming it's improved by now. But visibility at the airport at one point was like one sixteenth of a mile, I believe. Good grief. Yeah, a little bit of. What's that, five steps? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, great. Thanks, Megan. Yes, folks, it is Saturday, and we're going to have a roundtable discussion about what's going on in your landscape or what you're planning for the future or how your house plants are doing inside or outside, wherever they happen to be staying right now. And uh, how about that potting mix? And should you be doing anything Improving your soil, pruning, bugs, diseases. Uh, the information, well, hopefully that I share with you will help you make and orchestrate a best decision for your landscape. Obviously, the final decision is going to be on your shoulders. And thanks for inviting me into your show. I certainly appreciate you having me over, whether you're listening in your home, your car, or wherever. Another very important player is Alex. Alex has a lot of pressure today. He's going to be going back from this show to the other stations and back and forth and back and forth. So he's kind of going to be like a tennis ball. And uh, Getting my steps in. That's yes. all that matters, getting the steps in. Yes, exactly. And by the way, I'm Mike Miller, and I host the Garden Hotline. I've been doing that since 1994. And I can come to your home and do landscape consultations. I had a great uh I went to a home this past Wednesday in town and country and quite a setting where this uh, home was, the development and everything else. And uh, the home just in general, I'm going to be sending them some information related to my observations. And uh, anyway, I call those walk and talks. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, 
You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, there's going to be my email address and phone number, and I can be reached there. And this upcoming Wednesday, I'm going to be doing a, a walk and talk in Clayton. So anyway, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. Eight six one three three four four. That's six three six eight six one three three four four. Dense fog really erased downtown skyline. The from basically Tucker, you could not see anything beyond just like two or three blocks. So no arch, no nothing. Uh, I got out of my car and uh, the street side streetlight banners, two, two different ones on the, the each streetlight. One said family, and the other one says Stiefel Theater. This is a long market, and a, a quote in the front of this building has been etched in the stone of the building. Uh, it's from Woodrow Wilson, and it starts off, simple means should be found. And it goes on, and pretty considerable. And that is etched in the facade. There are two giant bears, symbolic of what we're finding out. Of, there's a, quite a few bears living here in Missouri. So these symbolic bears are sitting there just kind of ah, oh, just kind of taking it easy. Granite steps lead up to the entrance with red, white, and blue banners above the above the entranceway. The plantings include, I think it's Bermuda grass. I'm not sure. Hmm, maybe I should look at it a little closer. I don't know. Anyway, the lawn there has been well cut. There's daylilies that run into an oak leaf hydrangea which gives way to neatly pruned boxwood. Hardy hibiscus, this, the disco bell type hibiscus, the really huge flowers look spectacular. These are white with a red center right now. And they're followed by more boxwood and oak leaf hydrangea. And moving down to the east facade of the building, uh, daylilies, oak leaf hydrangea, and boxwood repeat. Disco bell hibiscus. These are bigger than the other ones on the, the west side, but in uh, color-wise, these are pink with red centers. And then uh, what building is this? Well, I used to call it Keel Auditorium, but it's a Stiefel Theater, all kinds of other stuff attached to the back of it where the blues play and other stuff going on in that building as well. Um, there's uh, After those uh, Disco Bell hibiscus, you make a turn south on 14th, there's more daylilies. There's some magnolia trees. There's feather reed ornamental grasses, some purple cone flowers. Some of them have already been cut back. There's some yellow black-eyed Susans, and, man, they are yelling yellow. It's like, wow, vibrant, especially on a morning like this when it's kind of gray and everything else. There's two more bears that st sit there. And watch at the side entrance. A squirrel looks at me. It's, I wonder where that squirrel lives. I guess he probably lives across the street in some of those trees or something. But he looked at me and said, what are you doing here? Anyway, and uh, all the way back to my car, there's all kinds of lime scooters sitting, waiting to party on. So that's a good, garden <laughs> good gardening stroll. And today, if you have questions, 314 Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. Back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the Voice of St. Louis KMOX. 
Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you have questions, concerns, ideas, comments, or whatever it happens to be. Let's go over to Donald's yard first. Hi, Donald. How are you? Greetings. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, My situation is I have two pin oak trees in my front yard, one of which is growing these uh, cactus-type balls Mm -hmm. uh, about the size of a quarter, I just wonder what they are and how I should uh, get rid of them. Uh, they're very difficult to get rid of. They're called galls, G-A-L-L. They're from a, a wasp that's not the classic stinging-type wasp. It's a wasp that lives basically in the top of trees and mainly and almost only in red oaks, not even the white oaks, not maples or anything else. And what the d- female stings basically are lays the eggs and then that bloating gall thing is to protect the eggs after they hatch so they are not, you know, eaten by b- other birds and all kinds of other stuff going on. So uh, just have a tree service come out, but there's really not too much you're going to be able to do. And uh, if you have two, you know, two trees, one has it, one doesn't, expect the other one to start getting it, you know, sometime in the near future or not necessarily the near future, but in the future. Because they're all, they're all over the tree, really. Oh, yeah, right. I mean, some of them, they get huge. A lot of times the females will lay the their eggs on top of or back into a gall. And then I've seen some galls almost the size of a tennis ball. It's really kind of incredible. Wow. And, uh, then the weight of those become problematic from the standpoint that it could cause a crack or a fissure in the branch that they're on. And then moisture can get in there and cause some heartwood rot or things along that line. So they're wow. trouble from not only an aesthetic standpoint, but other problems as well. So that's actually a wasp egg? Yeah, well, and it's not te- the eggs are inside of that. Right. Yes, right. Well, okay, thank you very much. Sure, yeah, so just get a tree service to come out. There's some. There's injections. There's a couple different things that uh, you know can work. And the problem with the galls is, you know, the winds can snap them off, and they can just drop on their own, and they're just real trouble. I mean, I've been in some yards where there's so many of them on the that have fallen on the ground. It's really right. a real nightmare. Right. All right. Well, good you. luck, Donald. Thank you. <laughs> sure. And now let's head out to Lake St. Louis and see what's going on in Jane's yard. Hi, Jane. Oh, good morning, Mike. I'd just like to tell you that um, your service is wonderful. I've been listening for years, and I call in occasionally. And and my question today is about some potted dahlias. They're small ones, and it's not happening to all of them, but some of them, as they open, I can see the color. Oh, this is going to be a red one. And then the next day, it's brown and and, um, uh, slimy. So is that bugs? No, that's actually moisture. I've got oh, some surprise. I've, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I've got some dahlias, and I'm having the very same thing happen. So I'm almost to the point where I should move them basically out of. I have them in pots, and they're kind of sitting within you know at various places. But whenever it rains or anything, they're they're getting moisture, and the very same thing is happening. And finally, it's just like almost disgusting that I'm getting really tired of it. Uh, So I might have to move them underneath the eave or something like that and see if that'll help them. But I'm pretty Uh sure it's just a moisture circumstance. Okay. Okay. I'll just wait it out then. Thank you so much. Right.
Yeah, and the, definitely any of the flowers that head downhill, just you know, cut them off, as you probably know. And uh, let's see, let's head over to Tom's yard now. Hi, Tom. Yeah, uh, yes, I have uh, several maple trees where the carpenter ants, at least I believe they're carpenter ants, are large, about three quarters of an inch long, are fine dining on my trees. What can you do? Um, just basically, you can take an insecticide out there and do it, but. You know, the, really the ants are, don't, are not really the true problem. They're there because there's other openings, and they're just using those openings to gather sap and things along that line to take it back to the colony. I mean, if they are carpenter ants, they could be eating into the wood, but uh, that's generally not the case. It's usually they're there, and consequently because of there's other things that have created openings, and like I said, they're gathering sap out of the vascular system or the veins of the tree. Well, there's sawdust around the base of the tree. Oh, so it could be, you know, the carpenter ants. It could be other insects cause that problem, too. I mean, boars do the same thing. What you might do is just, again, have a tree service come out and take a look at it to make sure and then ask, you know, have them take or suggest the best action for you. So I should consult a tree service. Yeah, that's going to be the best way because on-site is going to be better. I mean, it's great. I can share information with you, but I'm not actually seeing your tree you know, up close and personal, so I can just kind of give you, a, let's say, a broad perspective on what potentially could be problem. Okay. Uh, another question. I have some gypsum laying around. Is that all right to put it on the lawn now? Uh, I mean, you can, but uh, generally... I mean, if you may not even need it. So just I would get, a, again, a soil test done, find out what the soil circumstance is chemistry-wise before you add any kind of chemicals because you might add something, be a gypsum or whatever, that could be later on causing problems that you didn't even anticipate. Okay, then thank you very much. Yes. I mean, sort of the old school idea of putting certain things on your you know, whether it be lime or gypsum or anything else, is really not the best thing to do without knowing what your soil chemistry actually is. So, well, thanks, Tom. Greatly appreciate it. And now let's go out to St. Charles and into Doug's yard. Hi, Doug. Yes, I have a question about uh, when you're getting ready to uh, eliminate grass and uh, put mulch down, I hear you talk about you don't want to put black plastic underneath the mulch. And you're not real crazy about the uh, the weed fabric. What is the best thing to do to put underneath the the mulch to uh, keep weeds from coming up? Unwanted well, plants. Basically, you know, killing the weeds off out or killing the weeds in that spot prior to would certainly help. And uh, you can use a landscape fabric if you want, because so, that basically only can you know keeps the grass or keeps the weeds from that are underneath the fabric from being able to penetrate. But, you know, you can get weeds growing from the kind of drift in, blow in, seed-wise and everything else on top of the mulch. And the root systems of those weeds that are coming in and landing on top of the mulch can penetrate down through the mulch and actually down through the landscape fabric as well. So that's why I'm kind of against that. And the black plastic just suffocates the ground. So in the future, if you want to have... Let's say if you want to change and go back and do something else in that location, you basically killed that ground. And that's why I'm not, you know, black plastic just is not something I recommend at all. It's too much okay, moisture. There's, there, there's products out there that will, you know, they're vegetation killers. 
Uh, would it be okay to spray that area with a, a vegetation killer and kill everything in that area? Would that hurt the environment and anything? Uh, personally, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, as long as you follow the, read the label, follow the rules, everything else is is basically, let's say, a product like Roundup got a really bad name because the people that had major health problems related to it were not following and reading the label correctly, and they were not uh, taking the safety measures that they should have, and they were, you know, in contact with the Roundup because they were that was their job basically every day so that's where the trouble came in with this whole deal but uh, yeah, i've been yeah. using roundup since the 70s when i worked at the botanical garden and you know maybe it made yeah. my hair curlier i don't know but uh i i have a brand new bottle of roundup that i haven't even opened yet and i was hesitating using that but go yeah. ahead and use that anyway as long as you're wearing uh, safety stuff yeah right just and read the label first i mean because there's going to be precautionary type things like don't spray, you know, if the temperatures are this high or don't do this or don't do that or do this or do that. I mean, the labels are really a result of multiple years of testing before the product was even manufactured and made available for homeowners. Okay, thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And uh, why don't we go ahead and take a break? 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you have questions, concerns, or comments, we do have some phone lines open. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, I do have a mulching mower. And what I do is rather than bag clippings or anything, that's why I have the mulching mower. Because the tips of the grass blades that you cut off, that's actually a higher concentration of fertilizer. And if you just if you mulch it and it falls back down onto the ground... It's just kind of will help your lawn health overall. But if you are using a mulching mower and your clippings are more than an inch long, then it's a little bit problematic because then it sort of creates a barrier on top of your lawn, and that can create a more humid environment and could lead to other problems. So last time I cut, which was last Wednesday, uh, I noticed, uh-oh, I'm starting to see some of the clippings are longer than, what, an inch. So I had to go back over some of the areas and cut the, the clippings and uh, to make them so they were small and, and work out. But uh, that's one of the things that uh, the other thing you can do is rake it. I thought, nope, I'm just going to double mow it. So anyway, let's go back to the phones. Let's head over to John's yard. Hi, John. Hi. Hi, Mike. Um, I have a dogwood tree about six inches in diameter that was uh, – hit by a falling tree limb and uh, it's skinned about a four and a half foot section uh, down towards the trunk off the bark Uh, and the the skin is about four inches wide out of a six inch diameter tree is there anything i can or should do to uh, help the tree yeah not too much you can really do to be honest Uh, any kind of frayed bark that's still there if you can get a razor blade knife or something and cut all that off, that would be to the advantage. Uh, there's really, I mean, pruning sealer and all that other stuff is totally ineffective. It used to have lead in it, and that was help, helps with the fungus problems. But there's not really too much you can do. You could, you know, wrap it. But probably what I'd do, well, if you can get some flexible PVC pipe that's, you know, at least two inches bigger than what uh, the trunk is, 
and put that around it just to protect the you know the open wound a little bit. But if it's too high up into the, the tree, then there's not really too much you can do. So you're just going to have to kind of keep your fingers crossed. Okay. Thanks for your help and thanks for your show, Mike. Sure. Yeah, it's unfortunate that uh, you know there's some major damage you know with that storm that we had. Uh, now let's go over to Dennis's yard, and he lives in St. Charles. Hi, Dennis. Oh, good morning, Mike. Uh, I'm calling for my brother. Um, he's got two peach trees, uh, which are about uh, 12 foot high and about 20 foot apart, mm-hmm. and they're beautiful trees. And they get the fruit on, and they get about the size of a half a dollar, and they fall off. Could you tell me what the problem is? It's probably just, you know, it might be variety-wise. That would I would certainly check that. And also it might just be the overall health of the tree just in general because of the soil that it's growing in. So that's, you know, that would be my concern as a soil and just variety-wise of what type of peach it actually is. Uh, I mean, the, the trees are really, really nice. And he's got a cherry tree right next to that, too. Right. And, and a cherry tree is about the same height, and the cherries get so big and they fall off the tree, too. Right. It's, uh, you know, I mean... Basically, what you need to do is what this the tree is stressed out whenever that sets fruit. And it takes a huge amount of energy to make fruit. So even though we think fruit trees, that's what I mean, that's what they do. But right. initially, what he should do is when the trees have flowered and he starts to see fruit set, about half that fruit, he should be, I know it's 12, the trees are 12 feet high or whatever. Right. But, uh, he should take. He should cut off at least about half the fruit, and that would save the energy to you know to make it so the fruit that remains on the tree has a better chance of actually becoming mature and edible in full size. Okay, Mike, I appreciate you uh, answering the question for sure. me. Have a nice day. Yeah, and the same thing on the cherry tree as with the peach tree. So fruit okay. reduction is really very important. So in other words, just because a tree produces lots of flowers, and then consequently it gets pollinated in the fruit right. set. They just don't have the energy in the, you know, the circumstance with the soils and everything else to be able to produce in, for the full length of time for the actually fruit to get ripened. Okay, Mike, I appreciate that. Thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head over, let's stay in St. Charles, save a little gas, and go over to Frank's yard. Hi, Frank. Uh, good morning, Mike. Uh, hey, I was listening this morning, and the uh, I had a similar circumstance with whether to use the plastic or uh, the other type of wrap when I was uh, preparing some ground. Mm-hmm. And you recommended a product called Prem, and so I went ahead and used that and did it. And I'll tell you what, that, that stuff, I swear by it. I mean... Uh, I hardly got any weeds at all. So it was thought when I heard that conversation. Right. Yeah, Preem works great, uh, you know, as far as weed control and existing beds and things along that line. So that's absolutely right. So Preem is something that's been around for a long time. I've I've used it when I, we first moved to our, you know, the home that we're living in in South City now. I haven't had to use it because now I just do hand weeding in the bed spaces but, uh, yeah, Prina is a great product. Okay, well, uh, for what that's worth, I, you know, I know you field so many questions, and, and I thought, well, 
I wonder if he remembered what he told me because it really did work well. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'm just okay. getting too Thank old. I can't remember anything. <laughs> uh, Thank you, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, every time I answer a question, even though there are multiple aspects that, that can be covered, I just kind of t- focus on what you know where my mind is heading right at that time. But there's multiple things that can be done, you know, in lots of different situations. So anyway, let's go over to, to O'Fallon and into George's yard. Hi, George. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Hey, uh, my tomatoes are really sick this year. You know, I normal fertilization and, you know, taking up the lower leaves just like I normally do. And right. this year with these deluges of rain, you know, we've had like maybe three or four inches of rain like in the 24-hour period over two or three different times. And the leaves are just kind of, you know, they're not real green or light green and the lower leaves are falling off. And there are some tomatoes on there, but, you know, they really just don't look good at all. Is there anything I can do to help them along? Just no, just kind of keep them healthy and viable, and hopefully, you know, things will kind of settle down as far as like, you know, tomatoes need a lot of moisture. There's no getting around it. But when it's as much as it's not that you know, much, yeah, exactly. And that's where the problem is. So consequently, even if you're fertilizing, a lot of times if there's been that much moisture, the moisture has washed actually the fertilizer that you've put down past the root system. So they're stressed out from nutrients or stressed out from the fact of excess or excess, (laughs) excessive amount of moisture. And so, yeah, the roots are just drowning. Yeah, exactly. So even if they're planted, uh, you know, more or less in raised bed circumstances or up on mounds and everything else. Yeah. I mean, I've seen some, some tomatoes that look really good. They're in pots. The ones that I've seen that look the best. And that's because, well, the rain's going to fall there's no getting around it, and it's going to get onto the you know this potting mix. But it's they see you know, in the pots the ones that I've seen seem to be able to flush that moisture out better than the ones that are in the ground. Yeah, I do have one in a pot, and it's looking better than the other ones. But it's still the leaves are kind of curled on right. it, and it's, they're kind of brown. And then there are some tomatoes on it, but you know. I didn't know if there was any magic incantations you had that uh, <laughs> would help them along or not, but I think it's just going to be a lost year for my tomatoes. Well, it could be. I mean, there's going to be certain products and certain crops that are, you know, just this weather has just been totally screwy, where we've had excessive amounts of dry periods yeah. you know, for a couple of weeks and then flooding and then dry and then flooding. It's just been unbelievable. Welcome to climate change, I guess. Yes, exactly. <laughs> All right, sir. All right. Have a good weekend. Yep, you do the same thing. Now, let's, from George's yard, let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hi, Mike. How's Hi. it going? Very good. Hey, I have two silver maples in my backyard. They're about 25 years old. Uh, one's beautiful, and the other one, every July of the last few years, it loses its leaves on the top. Any Anything I can do about that? Uh, not too much. I mean, silver maples are pretty tough and durable. Why the one is losing its foliage at the top? I mean, if it's leafing out the following year, then the, those branches are still viable and you know healthy and happy. The only thing I could think of, maybe the root system of the one that's losing the leaves is not quite as adequate as it should be to be able to support all the foliage and, let's say, twig growth and everything else on the one tree that's not doing so well. But, so maybe some 
fertilization in the fall or something? No, probably what I do is I would do something called deep root feeding where you auger holes and then backfill the holes with compost. And what you're doing by doing that is you're feeding the soil and then the soil will in turn feed the tree as opposed to fertilizing. Sometimes that's not so good. Okay, sounds good. Also, I have two uh, holly bushes in my front yard. They're about 20-something years old, too. Can I cut those back any time during the year? Yeah, not any time, no. Do it when we're coming out of wintertime. That's going to be the best time to do it. So sometime after, let's say, Valentine's Day to early to mid-March, prune them at that time when the most severe time of winter is over with, and uh, then there are going to be some active growth coming right after that. Definitely don't prune them in, you know, in the summertime because they can get sunburned. So right. It's better How off much? when they're... I mean, they're about four or five feet tall. Can I take a good chunk of those out or not? Uh, watch out. I'd probably maybe take six inches off, and then if you feel like you still want to have them smaller, then the following year take six more inches off. Okay. Sounds good. You have a great day. Thank you. You do the same thing. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head out to Creve and go into Sally's yard. Hi, Sally. Hi. Um, I was wondering what you knew about cicada flagging. Cicada flagging? You mean you try yeah. to catch them? No, no, no. My, I have a an oak tree in the backyard, okay. and the very tips of the branches, uh, the leaves have turned brown. And so I went searching on the Internet to see what could cause that, and I came up with uh, pictures that were identical to my tree and an explanation of cicada flagging. Apparently, um, according to the explanation I found, the cicadas uh, go to these trees, and I don't know that they're specifically oak trees, but they go to the trees and they lay their eggs. And where they lay their eggs, which is very close to the tip of the the branch, um, and it cuts off the circulation, so the leaves... Uh, on the tip of those branches die, and then when the eggs hatch and the the new cicadas come out, they somehow or other go down into the ground and burrow, and then they don't come out until whatever it is, 17 years or 15 years or whatever. Or one year. I mean, there are some annual cicadas for sure. Oh, okay. Well, this is the first time I've ever noticed this on this tree, and that was the explanation that I came up with. Uh, the tree does not look unhealthy. It just is weird that the tips of the branches, the leaves are brown, just on the tips, not on the whole branch, and you know. But it's all right. around the tree on the very tips of the branches. They're brown, and the picture that I found on the internet looked identical to what my tree looks like, and that was their explanation. Right. Yeah, the cicadas will cut a slit. And that's where they lay their eggs into that. So uh, I I'd never heard of it called flagging before. So that's why I was a little bit, uh, you know, trying to figure out what you were talking about. But great explanation. And uh, really, I'm surprised that you have that many cicadas, you know, 
I mean, we've got, to, I, you know, I live in South City, and we, we're just now starting to hear them, and there's not a huge number, but I maybe in Creve Corps there's a lot of them because that would take a lot of cicadas to cut that many slits, you know, to do the eggs and that type thing. Well, you know, I, I can't I can't verify that that's the reason. Right. That's what I came up with okay. uh, when I went searching on the internet for this particular issue. And like I said, the the pictures look identical to the way my tree looks. Well, that's and they didn't. You know, the explanation did not say specifically oak trees or any specific right. type of tree. It just showed pictures and I thought that's what my tree looks like and that was the explanation and they called it cicada flagging okay because I'll, I'll check that out but uh, yeah that's a term I've not heard of before so but thank you very much and great research on your part all righty thank you sure and now let's go to Tom's yard in Bloomsdale hi Tom hi Mike yeah I got a question it's supposed to maybe kind of ridiculous how can I tell a male tree from the I'm sorry, I missed part of the... What was the question again? How can I tell the difference in a male tree and a female tree? What type of trees are we looking at? No, uh, I'm talking about maple. Maple trees? Yes. Well, it, basically, there's not a separate you know, male and female tree of maples. The male and female flowers are on the same tree. Okay. So things like holly have separate trees, you know, as far as male and female. There's other, there's some trees that do. I mean, ginkgo trees have a male and a female tree separate, but maples have the f- male and female flowers on the same tree. So the that's... Okay. You don't need to, you know, worry or, or what, whatever. So you're trying to, you're thinking about the maple squirts. Well, I don't know. I just, I was in my mind and what the difference was. Yeah, with uh, basically, I mean, you'd have to actually see them when they're in flower, but they basically come out and they flower at the same time, so the male can pollinate the female, and then it can form those maple squirts, those seeds. Okay. Okay, thank you. Sure. Great, Tom. And uh, Greg from Crestwood, how are you? Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, got a problem with my arborvitaes. Uh, let me switch this phone real quick. Okay, about uh, last year, I noticed browning on the arborvitaes. They're about six foot tall. And uh, on, on further investigation, I found... Uh, maybe 50 to 100 little growths on their hanging pods, Ooh. about an inch to an inch and a half long, right. half inch in diameter. And as I tried to open them up and see what was inside, it was an extremely tough sack, camouflaged, made out of the arborvitae petals, and there was a worm or something gooky inside. Uh, they're destroying now, now another uh, one of the arborvitaes is, is taking a bigger hit. Right. There, and it, what you see is brown leaves, and you can tell it's taking a hit on the plant. What yeah, do I do? A, you got a disaster. Those are bagworms, and what you're seeing is the female is in the bag. The male is a flighted adult. You know, so basically, what happens is once those bags are attached, 
usually the worm inside the female dies, but the eggs stay in there. And those right. bags cannot be penetrated by any kind of chemical or anything else. So the only really way to get rid of them is to you know pull them off. But if you've got a lot of them, then it's an, a nightmare. Growing up, you know the junipers, the fitzers that my parents had in the front of their house, they got the bag worms. And then you know as kids, we got paid a nickel for each bag we pulled off, and we made <laughs> thousands and thousands of dollars. I'm exaggerating, but uh, yeah, yeah. Last year when I pulled them off, the trees seemed to come come back. Right. And then this year they were worse, so I didn't eradicate them. I slowed them down. But, yeah, I pulled – I bet I pulled 100, 150 off of two different trees. That's a lot of them. And like I said, each one of those bags is full of eggs. So, And when they hatch, then they just kind of crawl out of that bag and then form a new bag themselves if they're females or they fly, you know, fly off if they're males. Right. So there's not a chemical approach to it. No, there's nothing that will penetrate those bags. Yeah, that was my impression when I examined them. Yeah. I, I tried cutting one up with a knife. It took all I could do. Right. Well, thanks, Greg. <laughs> Greatly appreciate it. And it's just going to be, you know, work, 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 work. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news. Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, it is the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour, and I'll be giving that shortly. But right now, you can give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And, Megan, before you take off, how how about uh, your landscape and everything? How's everything looking? Weeds. Weeds, Okay. <laughs> Sounds perfect. You know, everything no, looks those pretty wildflowers. L- yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything really looks pretty lush this year, amazingly so, even though we've had a couple of stretches without rain. But right. you know, but then this is the time when the weeds start getting in there and going. <laughs> I did buy a weed burner last year. Oh, this thing is awesome. Do you have a weed burner? No. <laughs> it's phenomenal. So I don't have to use Roundup or, you know, right. any of that. I have singed the fence, and I did get the siding a little bit. Um, <laughs> however, uh, it's wonderful against weeds. You don't have to use chemicals, and you feel uh, powerful. Yeah, when you fire that thing up and it goes... <laughs> oh, great. It sounds like a perfect hobby. Yeah. <laughs> Satan. <laughs> it's like having a flamethrower in your yeah, backyard. Exactly. Sounds like fun. <laughs> well, thanks, Megan. Yes, folks, and thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, caring for, ups and downs and all arounds to annuals, bulbs, edibles, ground covers, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is certainly not the only garden path that will lead you to success, but strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board is Alex. Alex has still got a, some residuals of his cold, so when you call, be residual of his uh, residualness. But anyway, so during the week, I spend time doing landscape consulting, and on weekends, too. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on my homepage, is my email address and phone number where you can contact me and we can schedule a walk and talk in your landscape. And I come to your home and share 40 years of experience and uh, 
how it relates to the existing plants, what changes need maybe to be considered, uh, care and maintenance, and all those sorts of things. The tip of the trowel is a special recognition of individual group or situation that's made an impression on me and is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Tip of the trowel goes out to several different, uh, guess what, clubs, garden clubs, garden clubs, yes, Mid-America Regional Lily Society, the Mid-Illinois Iris Society, the Newtown, which is in St. Charles Garden Club, the O'Fallon Garden Club, that's O'Fallon, Missouri, and there's an O'Fallon Garden Club in Illinois as well. So there's garden clubs all over the place. I mean, they're great. I mean, they're just fun. I used to give a lot of uh, speaking engagements to the garden clubs for their monthly meetings and uh I mean, the knowledge with these staff members and everything, staff members, knowledge of members of the garden clubs is just absolutely unbelievable. So that's the tip of the trial goes out to them very much so because they've spent a lot of time and a lot of energy. And uh, it shows very much with when you go to their homes and see the quality of the plant material. It is absolutely unbelievable. And uh, newly installed for you anyone if you had any kind of trees or shrubs planted within the last year make sure we if we go through a period where there hasn't been uh let's say adequate amount of rain within the last week or so that you go out and run a you know run some water at a trickle just away from the trunk or the stems coming up out of the ground so you can kind of make sure that root system does not dehydrate whatsoever that's really crucially important if you are growing mums and you hope for the fall bloom, uh, you should have had the final pinching done. And if you don't, uh, if you haven't been pinching them back routinely, then uh, don't just go out there and pinch them back right now because the chances of the flower buds setting is going to be somewhat limited. So just realize that. If you have iris and you want to divide them and give them away or move them to a different some, some in a different part of your landscape, uh, this is a time right after when they finish flowering is when you should be doing the dividing. And as Megan was talking about, weeds are everywhere and getting the weeds under control, regardless if you use a flamethrower like she does or use an herbicide or your hand dig or whatever you do, try to get it taken care of before they start flowering. And then because the flowering can lead to seed production and that's going to lead to the problem even be more exaggerated in the future. So just keep that in mind. Let's see. Let's go over to Bob's yard before we take a break. Hi, Bob. How are you? Hi, Mike. Thanks for uh, uh, taking my call. Sure. Uh, my wife has some concerns because we have two different types of trees in our yard where the leaves are starting to turn red like a fall color. Uh even in the middle of the summer. One is a, a pair of columnar beech trees, red obelisk, and the other is a black gum tree. Uh, anything to be concerned about there? No, not really. It's just a, a sort of a, an indicator of how screwy this weather is. So the fact that they're turning early, it's just there's been a triggering you know, situation in your particular, for these trees in your particular setting, because there's black gums and other tree, you know, beech trees 
that I you know that I've seen that are not coloring up yet at all. So it's just one particular situation that's happening in your yard. Okay, well, thanks for the reassurance. Sure. Uh, always enjoy your show. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show. And let's go to Bunny's yard. Hi, Bunny. Hi, Mike. Um, I have a peony bush, and it bloomed beautifully, but it it sort of was top-heavy. It fell onto the sidewalk, and I really didn't get to cut it and bring it in. Of course, it was full of ants, which I didn't know what to do anyway. Right. But now I want to know when to cut it back all the way and how far. Yeah, don't cut it back yet because you want to leave the foliage as long as you can. Cut the flower okay. head off if you haven't yet. So I you, did. Okay, so if you've done that, then probably you're going to be pruning it back down to kind of ground level, but you're not going to okay. do that till September. Have I, is there anything I can do to keep it from getting top-heavy, that it just falls over. Well, that's why the garden center sells something called peony rings, and they're kind of oh, the same okay. thing to use as people use on tomatoes. So the, uh-huh. some of the varieties of the peonies have heavy-duty, weight-wise flowers, and that's what causes the you know the bending over. So oh, is that what it is? Okay. And what do you do about ants if you want to cut them and bring them in? Uh, just basically cut them and just, you know, run some water on them and, you know, wash okay. the ants off. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. Bye. Bye. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. And if you do have questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hey, Mike. Um, Hey, um, I'm planning on this fall aerating and uh, putting down uh, compost. Um, But how do you actually, you know, I have a fairly large yard. How do you, is there... Uh, some kind of machine that spreads that or i mean do you just have to like get a wheelbarrow and a shovel and just kind of throw it i mean is there any uh technique to that or well st louis composting does have machines that will spread the compost so i mean you have to run them but uh, uh they do have them and uh either that or you can just do it by hand like what you were talking about just spread it and then kind of rake it in Oh, oh, okay, okay. Um, and when would be the about the earliest time you could aerate and do that safely? Uh, probably you're looking at maybe late uh, late August, early probably late August would be the earliest I'd think about doing it. Maybe mid August. Okay. It's going to be weather dependent, but if it you know if it's extremely hot, I wouldn't do it. I'd wait you know wait for a week or two. But that would be when you're thinking about. Or the earliest would be mid to late August. Okay. All righty. Well, that's all I needed. Thank you. All right. Perfect. And good luck with that. And let's see, where should we go now? Let's go over to Doug's yard. Hi, Doug. Hi. Hi. So, Mike, uh, you probably get all kinds of questions over and over again. This is another one of them. I'm out in West County. And I've got, uh, I think they're sassafras trees and even dead ones that keep sending up these little shoots. Right. You know what I mean? What do I do? Basically, there's not too much you can do. Uh, what they are, the, the, those particular trees are colonizers. So what they do is 
as the wherever the original tree was, it sends out root systems, and then the root system will send out horizontally, you know, up near the surface, it will send up new shoots. So that's what it basically does. So there's not too much you can do. I mean, there are systemic type herbicides that will kill woody plant material. So once they start, you know, coming up and they become obvious, you can put that on those particular suckers that are coming up. But that's about all there is to do. Well, if I don't know where they come out from, from the main root trunk, right. but could you just kind of dig down around the trunk and cut off any roots that might be moving out? Yeah, if you do that, though, thing? you have to realize that if there's the ones that you're doing this to, you could potentially cut off all the feeder roots of those particular trees, and then consequently that particular tree or that trunk oh. is going to be dead. Or Got it. Downhill. Got it. Yeah, right. Well, the one we have a problem with is a dead one, so oh, it's already been cut well, down. Well, that's perfect, but, then. Okay. Yeah, okay. All right. Thanks so much. Sure. My pleasure. And right. now okay. let's go over to Mike Shard. Hi, Mike. Hello. Hi. Hey, I've got kind of something different to talk about. Uh, I had about a 40-year-old apple tree, and the wind and the rain blew it down. And when they cut the tree off, there was a hollow area in the center of it. Now, I had planted some English ivy along for ground cover and some vinca. Well, now the vinca grew up on that tree. And my question is, does that, did that vinca eat that hole in the, in the base of that tree? Because uh, there's like one-inch uh, vines on for that vinca because it grew right up the tree. You know, it was really really covered it. Uh, I guess that's my question. Is Was the vinca, did it cause the truck uh, tree to deteriorate and go downhill? No, really, it didn't. You probably, oh. what you have is a, you want them as winter creeper. That's the thing that will climb. The vinca oh. won't climb, but it, no, it's strictly adheres to the exterior of the tree, doesn't have anything to do with what's going on in the inside whatsoever. Oh, okay, because I can say I've got a great big catalpa tree, and I want to plant some ground cover under it because the roots have, it's about 20 years old and the roots have come up to the surface. Right. And I can't really cut it because I, I use a rider because I had a couple acres. And I was wanting to put a ground cover on there, but I sure didn't, if that was causing the problem, I sure didn't want to do that again, you know. Right. So, I mean, there is Vinca Minor that will have <laughs> blue flowers in the springtime and it is evergreen. But the one that you're speaking of that climbs trunks, that is Euonymus winter creeper. Yeah, I don't want that again. I just right. want something to cover the ground to where um, I just can't get around it with my uh, zero-turn mower without taking a chance of uh, dumping my mower over back. <laughs> right. So, yeah, Vinca Minor, and you don't want to get it this time of year. You want to wait until mid to late August through September and early October to do any planting on that. That that uh, will get me through this year, uh, and hopefully next year it'll spread, and I can figure. Yeah, it'll it's going to be. The, you know, it's going to. did a good job. You know, the English ivy, it's grown and right in the ground, but uh, uh, I, I could go back with that. I guess is that would that be a good idea? Yeah, not? I mean the ivy will climb too, but oh. uh, no, the English, Bulgarian, or Baltic, you know, evergreen ivies, they're yeah. fine. It's yeah, just, I don't want them to climb the tree. I just want them ground cover. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, they do possess the ability to climb. There's. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, then I'll, you say Vinca Minor, right? Right. 
That's going to be, it won't climb. It grows uh, maybe two inches high, and then in the springtime it does have blue flowers. Okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go over to Doug's yard. Hi, Doug. Hey, Mike. My question for you is, my front yard inside here all zoysia. Now, when I mow, it seems like I get a lot of thatch in there. Do you recommend bagging your clippings or not bagging your clippings on a zoysia yard? Well, basically, if your clippings are an inch or less, so in other words, when you go over an area and you look back over your shoulder, you don't see a bunch of clippings on top of the ground. So in other words, they're small enough that they've actually fallen down in between the grass blades almost immediately. That's fine. You can do it that way. But if you look back and you start to see piles of the clippings, then you should be doing some bagging. But ideally, like I had said in the first hour, the ends of the grass blades that you cut off, there is nutrients in that, you know, in those you know, mowed grass blades pieces. And by not bagging and just letting them fall because you're mulching them, uh, you just, it adds a little subtle fertilizer to your zoysia lawn. Well, how about thatching in the spring before the zoysia comes up? Do you recommend that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Dethatching, it, all that does is get rid of dead old grass you know, blades and things like that. It doesn't really affect the zoysia at all. But, yeah, dethatching, I do that every year. I hand, Because I have a relatively small yard, I hand rake to dethatch. But uh, if you've got a larger yard and you have to use a power dethatcher, then that's fine. Yeah, I do the hand thatching, too, with the rake there, that old-style rake. And right. it seems to come up pretty good, but I was worried about, you know, too much thatch getting in there, and I wasn't sure on whether uh, bagging it or not. Yeah. Thatch can be problematic. I mean, there's no getting around it. If it gets too thick, then it causes mold problems and fungus problems and things along that line. Okay, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller, right, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, we do have some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Just remember, if you have some annual flowers, whether in pots or in the ground, you should be fertilizing them every two weeks. And that's going to make them so they're going to be more vibrant, better flowering, and everything else. And consequently, uh, unless there's you know other problems related to the root systems or something like that, you should be fine with doing that. I'm going to fertilize my annuals and my lawn today after the show. So that's one of the things I'm going to be doing. And let's now head over to Donna's yard. Donna, how are you today? Oh, so far so good. Great. Um, we have a privet hedge, and every single leaf on there has like a grayish look to it. From green, it went to like a grayish, every single leaf. And we were told that one time it was bugs, we sprayed, and it's not going away. Now it's on our azalea bushes. Yeah, it's a powdery mildew. So it's not, it has nothing to do with bugs. It's actually a fungus. Really? Right. Okay. But I mean, is it okay to leave it there? Or? Uh, well... I mean, it does have it does cause problems from the standpoint that by coating the leaf, then it reduces the amount of food that the leaf can actually make, because the okay. leaves are really important for the overall health. Right. Because uh, you know, it's like with anything, you right, put a right, layer yeah. of something on top, and it it can it's going to impact. Yeah. 
the bush looks great. I mean, they're not, they're not curled up or dried up or anything, except that it's gray. Yeah, it is. Okay. With, the, with this, all this rain and everything else, and powdery mildew is becoming, you know, okay. more and more pronounced. Okay. All right. That's what I needed. Thank right. you so much. Sure. And now let's go to Jan's yard, and she lives in Brentwood. Hi, Jan. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, a quick question. I have a very old uh, white spurea bushes in the back and um, very healthy, too, but they're about eight feet tall. Can right. I trim them back now? Uh, trim I would, them down? I wouldn't prune going in during the summertime, no. So since they're, mm. they're, they're a spring-flowering variety, right? Yeah, they 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 were really pretty in the spring. Yeah, so probably, and I waited too I long. Just, then just leave them alone, and the next year when they finish flowering, prune them at that time. Okay, and how far can I cut them down? They're uh, pretty bushy. Yeah, if you just watch out. If you cut, I'd probably cut them off maybe two feet, and then if you want to get okay. them smaller, then the following year cut them back another foot or so. Okay, and because they're they're bending over. Instead of going straight up, the taller they are, they're kind of all bent over, and I right. want to straighten them all up. Right. Well, they have a kind okay. of a natural, I don't want to say weeping, but let's say a cascading habit. Okay. Okay, that's okay. All right. I'll wait till the spring then. Thanks a lot. Yep. If you, what right. happens if you prune them now or you prune them in the fall? You're pruning off the flower, a lot of the potential flowering for the following spring. So that's why you don't want to prune you know, other than right after they finish flowering. And that's with any and all spring flowering shrubs. And now let's go to Sue's yard. Hi, Sue. Hello. Hi. Hi, Mike. I have a question about new sod. How soon can I use some kind of a fertilizer? And is it possible to overwater or how much water should we put on it? Just put in a week ago. Basically, what you want to do is... You want to water, I mean, with obviously when we've got high humidity like this and there's not a lot of not a lot of wind, if it was sunny, you should be watering probably every day for the first two weeks. And then uh-huh. what you want to do is to find out if your sod is finally getting acclimated to the new circumstance, to, in other words, your yard, is just go out and tug on it a little bit, like at a corner, and once you, it's resisting, that means the root system uh-huh. of the sod is penetrating into your ground. And fertilizing, okay. don't do any kind of, well, first of all, what kind of sod is this? Hmm. Is this fescue? Is it bluegrass? Is it zoysia? It's fescue. Okay. Fescue. So you don't want to do any kind of fertilizing at all until fall anyway, regardless. Okay. So that's... Not, a, even, not even something that's uh, far... Uh, New growth or new... No. Uh, Don't do okay. any kind of fertilizing because you could force some growth. And cool season lawns hate the summertime, and you could cause it, you know more problems. Okay. Okay. So watering, when when I water, if I have the sprinkler out covering everything, you know, half hour, something like that? Yeah. If you're going to do it every day for the first two weeks, yeah, that should be okay. adequate because... It's even if it's highly windy and sunny and everything else, the moisture level should stay adequate. Okay. Well, thanks for your help. Sure. My pleasure. Okay. Bye bye. And now let's go over from Sue's yard to Sherry's yard. Hi, Sherry. Yeah. Good morning, Mike. Good morning. I have a couple of questions. 
One, I have a um, a radish plant that I put in when the radishes were coming in fine until bugs started coming on them, and then I put red pepper over them to stop the bugs, and now they seem to be stunted. Is it a throwout situation, or should I just be patient and wait? Uh, radishes, it all depends on what variety it is. They may be mature. Have you pulled up any of them? Well, I pulled up one, and nothing's there. Okay. So... It may be just a situation you're not going to get any you know, production of, because usually you've you've you know you planted them obviously in the springtime, but you mm-hmm. should be able to I would say harvest them sometime in September. Okay. Then I have a tomato plant with no flowers. It doesn't appear to be growing. It's just at a stalemate. I mean, it doesn't have any yellow leaves or it's not drooping. Where my other plant it has droopy leaves, and I know that's because of the overwatering. Right. Uh, but this one is in a pot, and it's not doing anything. I mean, should I just give up on it? Yeah, my guess is the pot's too small. Okay, the pot's too small. Okay. And then here's the okra. I have an okra plant that the leaves just, I mean, not the leaves, the flower. It comes, it's a beautiful yellow flower, and mm-hmm. then it just drops off, like, real shortly, like a day or two later. It doesn't even stay. Like, my neighbor's. Her flower stays on for some time. Right, because it's got to stay to get pollinated so you can get some okra fruits or food. Okay. Okay. So evidently I'm doing okay then because I'm getting okra. Right. Okay. So, yeah, don't worry about it. Okay. And then last, the question last I have, the diasis I have, um, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, where it's not blooming, it has only a few blooms, and then they're turning brown. Should I be pinching those off or cutting them back, or how do you do this so the blooms will come back? Uh, certain varieties of dianthus only bloom once a year. Some varieties are repeat bloomers, but for the most part, it depends upon the variety. Some bloom early in the spring, some bloom mid-spring, some bloom early in the summer, so it's just variety-wise. And oh, to wow. get a repeat bloomer, it's, you know again, going to be a specific variety that can do that. Okay, because I thought because it was perennial, well, then I was good, and I could, you know, just have blooms constantly. No, 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 not at all. Wow. Oh, and my last question I forgot about my mother. She has a a weed, and it's rounded. It looks like a clover, but it's not, and it's spreading through her side yard. What can we do about that, or do we have to just put the weed kill on it and just kill out the whole yard and start all over? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, if you've got a... It sounds like it's black medic. I don't know if it has small yellowish flowers. No, no flower at all. It's just a round leaf. It looks like a clover. Hmm. It was a wider leaf than the clover has. And it's spreading throughout the yard. It's in the side yard just horribly. And it's spreading like I don't know what. Oh, it could be henbit. Uh, just you know, take a look. Go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and just kind of okay. find out what you know what particular weed that is, and then find out from what sp- specific weed it is the best action and when to do it is going to be. Okay. Well, you've been very helpful, and thank you so much. Well, thank you. All right. And bye-bye. now let's go out to St. Peter's and into Brian's yard. Hi, Brian. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, white toadstools. How do I get rid of those? Basically, there's nothing you can do. They're growing off dead okay. root systems, and until those root systems totally implode, that you're going to get that fungus growing off of them, and that's the toadstools you're seeing. Okay. Um, the uh, can I send out a uh, like a maple tree 
like cut off little branches, or should I wait till fall? Uh, you you're just asking about pruning it. Yes, just like you know how you thin them out a little bit. Oh sure, right. Basically, maple trees, birch trees, and beech trees like to be pruned in the summertime. Okay, so I'm good to go. Yes. And just to let you know, your, your listeners can get an app on plant identifiers, and I have a couple of them. You take a picture of the plant, and it will tell you the type of plant, weed, and how to get rid of them. Great. They just got to Google it, uh, get on Play Store and say plant identifier, and you take a picture, and it will identify any plant so far that I've asked it to do. That sounds perfect. I'll save you some time on the, on the talk show. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> sure. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. Well, let's get one more call in before we take a break. Let's go over to Brenda's. Hi, Brenda. Hello. Hi. I am calling. Number one, I am sad because I did have my husband trim my spirea and lilac that had some crazy long shoots on them. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I didn't trim the whole thing, but I hope that it won't totally mess them up next spring. What well, do you think? All- the only thing that would not have the flowers for next spring would be things that he had cut. If he didn't cut okay. it, then they're going to set flower like they normally do. Okay. I also bought a strange-looking plant called a Juncus Twister. Do you know anything about that plant? Uh, it kind of looks like a just a twisted, like kind of a, I don't want to say a straw, but like a straw. Yes. Right. Uh Basically, it's going to be, you know, it's not really a, a, probably the best thing to do is if you really like it, is leave it in a pot and then grow it inside after the summer is over with. Oh, it says it's a perennial. Yeah. But I think it does better inside. Outside, coming back, you know, every winter and every summer, every spring and every fall, it may come back, but uh I don't think they're really all that reliable as far as in this region. It may be a perennial, but it's not perennial for the weather that we have. Okay, thank you. What about trimming boxwoods? My husband trimmed some of them, but not enough. And I want to get them down to where they're a manageable size. I did do a few of them in front, and they look kind of like just sticks now, but they are starting to green out a little bit. We're hoping that they come back to life. Yeah, if if you prune them back too much, you get to the point like what you're describing, that means there's, I mean, the amount of functional leaf buds that are still on the stems that are remaining may not be enough to make them, you know, full and robust again. How late is too late to trim them? Don't prune in the summertime. You know, so basically oh. the best time to do, again, for any of these kind of evergreen situations that you're not that are not spring flowering or that you don't care if you see the flowers is coming out of wintertime. That's the best time to do it. Oh, these are really big. I don't like them so big, but I guess I'll have to wait. Um, <laughs> right. How about fertilizing geraniums? These I talked to a nursery that said they fertilize every week. And they get these fantastic-looking plants. Is that too often? Uh, probably a little bit too often. I mean, you could do it, but uh, they're doing it because they're making them so they can be sold. Uh, but, uh, I mean, every two weeks is, you know, pretty much with all the annuals. I think that's the best time or best sequence is every two weeks. And the last question, peace lily. I have a beautiful little peace lily, but it tends to wilt 
pretty fast. Does it just need a bigger pot, do yep. you think? Right. Probably a bigger pot and, you know, potting mix, not potting soil. What's the difference? Uh, Drainage-wise and nutrient-wise, oh. nutri- nutrient retention and everything else. A bag of potting mix weighs about two times or three times more than potting, or a bag of potting soil weighs about three times more than potting mix. Potting mix has a lot more, let's say, better quality for drainage and things like that. Like vermiculite and things? Right, exactly. Okay. All right. Thank you so much. Have a good day. My pleasure. Bye. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, just remember while we're mowing, set your mower blades a little bit higher than what you think. I always read this stuff that says your zoysia grass should be cut to one to two inches. I think that's way too short, especially for our summer times with the heat. So with my zoysia, I have it set about four to four and a half inches. And my zoysia looks pretty darn good. And your bluegrass, the same thing. Don't cut it too short because you can get sunburned to the crown of the plant. So that's not what you want to have happen. Let's head over to Steve's yard. Hi, Steve. Hello, Mike. Hi. Uh, I have a question. I have some landscaping that was put in last fall. So this is my first full summer for all my landscaping. Right. And hardwood mulch over pretty much everything. And I've got these big blotches of fungus. And then I've got all different types and sizes of mushrooms that are growing, probably because of all the moisture and humidity we have. But is there anything we can do about that? Not really, because, I mean, the if you go to the St. Louis compost, you're not going to get that problem. So, in other words, this mulch that you have, this hardwood mulch, was not, let's say, cooked properly. So, consequently, that's why you're getting all these crazy problems with it. So Okay. I, I mean, you can go out there and you can kind of rake it, but it's going to take a while before it's going to finish completely and you're not going to have that problem again. It may take a you know two or three full seasons, or maybe just remove it. <laughs> well, that's true, uh, right? Yeah, that's, it's got filter fabric underneath it, so I guess I could just try and get rid of it that way. You but, could, yeah. but I mean, because it's not going. There's nothing you can do to get rid of the problem. It's because of it's dead wood, and it's just like mushrooms growing in your yard. The mushrooms yep. are growing on old dead root systems. Or roots off root systems. So this is exactly what you're experiencing. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. I appreciate the information. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go over to Martha's yard. Hi, Martha. Um, hi, Mike. Uh, I have. I ha- well, it, it, there's nothing you can do for it. But I had two zucchini plants, and they were very healthy. I was getting zucchini off of them. Uh, we had the heavy rains. And uh, the, they made it through it. They looked fine after that. The next day, all the leaves were laid down, the whole stem and all. The following day, everything had turned yellow. The plant, the leaves just uh, died. What what caused that? The mo- too much moisture on the root system. Basically, the root system just drowned. Okay. Okay. I didn't, I didn't get to listen to you earlier, so you might be repeating. But I was curious. I've never had that before. My beautiful zucchini, I can't believe it, just died on me in one day, it seemed right. like. Okay, thank you so much. Yeah, there's not okay. too much. I mean, when you get that kind of Nothing. rainfall. So obviously in the future, if you plant it a little bit higher, will help. But the soil that it's growing in and everything else, even if you've had a history of, 
know, g- great success in this yes. garden area for your zucchini. It's just a question of this nutty rain with having so much happening all at once. The root systems it, just can't survive, you know, that much moisture. Uh-huh. It well, it is kind of on a hill, so it's got good drainage too. But that was a lot of rain in a couple of days. I think we had like seven inches in wow. three or four days here in Troy. <laughs> wow, <Yeah>. that's a <laughs> lot thank of you. rain. It, that's a lot of rain. Okay, <laughs> that nothing I did then. Okay, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> bye bye. Well, and that's yeah. I mean, a lot of people are experiencing those kind of things. So. Other things, we're probably not going to try to get any more calls in. Just be conscious of what's going on, you know, in your landscape just in general. Stay stay on top of it. And you're still, with our weather and, you know, the stuff that happens here, we're not going to be guaranteed success year in, year out, regardless of what we're trying to grow. So just be realistic. And uh, that's about the best thing you can do. Uh, this time of year, I mean— don't do any kind of fertilizing on their plant material other than on your annuals. So just be conscious. Be you know, Just say, Mother Nature, whatever you're going to do, that's fine. There's nothing I can do about it. So just keep an eye out for on your roses, on your perennials, on your trees, on your shrubs, on everything, and just enjoy. Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.